This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Casting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, located in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 649 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, but when I'm signing sketches, it's always as the internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm head number two, but you know me better as my name is Matt Baum, and it's a new year in the Ziggurat, which means it's time to review the first new comics of 2022. After that, we head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to wrap about our must-read picks for next week. And to close out the episode, we'll give you a sneak peek at our Patreon extra for this week, the return of Nerd TV, where we'll be discussing our thoughts on the Hawkeye finale and what comes next for MCU on your television. But first... The only way to usher in the new year on this show is with review time in the ziggurat. This week's review pile is only covering the first new comics of 2022. We said, screw you, 2021. And they came out uh, today, Wednesday, January 5th. Our pile this week has it all, including Vietnam flashbacks, infernal conclusions, cans of simian protein, and what would new comic day be without the return of... (laughs) Joe, let's get to our first reviews of 2022. You're up, buddy. All right. First up is Apache Delivery Service number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Tyler Jenkins. The cover price is $3.99. Here's your solicit. A jungle horror story by Matt Kent. You know him from Ether, Mind Migment, and Tyler Jenkins from Fear Case. Also from uh, Peter Panzerfaust, but that's not a Dark Horse book, so yeah. ignore it, I guess. Great book, though. Yeah. Two haunted men are on a hunt in the jungles of Vietnam, searching for clues to a missing treasure trove of gold that was stolen from all over Asia by a Japanese general during World War II. Eventually, they find a series of hidden caves in the mountains near the coast. Bodies start showing up. Murder bodies and mutilated corpses. And mutilated bodies. (laughs) And mutilated murder bodies. There is a rumor that the caves and gold are protected by terrifying witches that have been living in the cave system for thousands of years. None of this happens in issue one. I mean, no, not in issue one. As our warriors travel deeper into the mystery, they learn more disturbing facts about each other and become paranoid of one another as they get closer and closer to the gold, while at the same time, a bizarre serial killer is hunting them down. Okay, that's the first time I have read that uh, solicit, and I feel like it's a massive spoiler, and I didn't need it. I would still be very interested without any of the stuff that didn't happen in this first issue being mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one, I mean, it sort of starts to happen, but we'll get to it. I guess. Uh, Matt Kent, or as I like to call him, uh, the less sad Jeff Lemire. Oh, I don't know about that. He's pretty sad. No, uh, I mean, he's, I think he leans more towards the bizarre and the, and the, um, all right, all right. Not, not the sad bastard stuff. Okay. Uh, and I and I compare him to Jeff Lemire because in my mind they came up at the same time. It's not like and they're, they're not like, interchangeable or anything. They're like best bros too. Sure. Uh, he's back with another high concept mashup of genres. Here we have a war story mixed with a murder mystery with a dash of treasure hunt. The story follows a young indigenous man who learned the art of hunting from his father. I guess we don't know. I don't even think they give him a name. I looked again and I don't think he's named Relative. in the book. I don't think the kid is named either. Like, um, I don't think no. the main character has a name. I think that's part of what they're going for here, though. It's just like, perhaps, look, perhaps. you're just an Apache scout. Shut up. And he's like, I'm not even an Apache. Like, I'm a Navajo. Right, yeah. And like, and sure you the- are. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, regardless, he uses those talents as a spotter for U.S. bombers in Vietnam. He is conflicted about his role and his platoon mates who can't even be bothered to get the name of his tribe right leading to the brilliant inspiration for the book's title. We don't get a whole lot of forward momentum on the actual story in this issue, but I found all of the character work and backstory really compelling. Uh, As Matt mentioned earlier, like we get the barest hint of like, oh, okay, well now he's going to be on a hunt for Nazi gold with this guy. And also there are murders and that's it. That's all we got. Yeah. 
Tyler Jenkins is a really great artist that I don't see enough of. Uh, he brings a really creepy atmosphere to the jungle setting with his use of heavy fields of black and rough shapes. I went into Apache Delivery Service, number one, knowing absolutely nothing about the premise and left completely hooked. Looking forward to seeing the story develop from here. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, Jenkins is weird. Because um, if you look back at Peter Panzerfaust, it didn't look like this. It, it, I mean, you could I mean, see it his kind style. of did. It's there. It, it, I mean, and it also it was over a decade ago. So. Yeah, definitely. But he's changed quite a bit, or he's doing something different here. I don't really know because I haven't seen enough of his work. But it is very loose. It is very strange, but at the same time, it's still like very cinematic, you know, like I felt like I was watching a film while watching this. And we're going to talk about another comic that wants a very cinematic feel and goes for it a very different way in a little bit here. And I think you know what I'm talking about, but I loved this. It was creepy. It was a great setup. It's taking a look at the treatment of Native Americans in Vietnam, and I liked that they didn't really name this character. He is just a soldier. He's another number. And he just happens to be Native sure, American. Yeah. So they treat him like an Indian, call him an Apache, and he's on the Apache delivery service, which was a real thing in Vietnam. This is a great start to a super creepy jungle horror book. Huge bite. My first book of 2022 goes to Bylines in Blood, number one from Aftershock. It's written by Erica Schultz and Van Jensen with art by Anique. Here's your solicit. The future, the very concept of truth has died. Politicians invent their own facts and independent newspapers no longer exist. In this world, private detectives serve as Ronin, searching out the hard truths that people are desperate to keep hidden. The best of these is Satya, known as Lady Dick, which I can't, I just laugh every time I say it. Yeah, I'm sorry. no, that's not good. <laughs> A former journalist turned gumshoe who runs every lead to the ground. But Satya has just received her hardest case yet. It's a hard case for Lady Dick. <laughs> her old If editor, I know one thing about Lady Dick, it's she likes it hard. Uh, <laughs> her old editor has her been first, murdered. First dick joke of 2022. Someone wanted him silenced, and the trail points erect toward the highest bastions of power to find justice for her friend. She'll erect is not in that solicit. She'll have to put everything and everyone she knows at risk. A prophetic neo-noir thriller, unexpected twists at every turn, The Clarion is co-created by Ringo Award-nominated writer Erica Schultz, who worked on M3, Forgotten Home, and Strange Tales, and comic writer and 4-mer newspaper crime reporter Van Jensen. I'm not sure what the dash is about that. I think it's just former. Who worked on Two Dead. No, that's, but I copied and pasted that. I understand. I just think that it's Two a, Dead. It's a carryover. For he me. worked on Two Dead, Cryptocracy, Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and they're forgetting to mention Captain Canuck. Aided and abetted by Spanish art sensation Anique, who worked on DC Comics Bombshelves and the legendary Red Sonia. I have a feeling this comic was titled The Clarion before being renamed Bylines and Blood, but nobody told the solicit people, apparently. I get why it works for the very crime noir feel of the book, and Anique's art does the rest. She works in a thin line, manga-informed style that looks excellent with her soft color palette. There are a couple of action panels complete with dramatic action lines that I really liked. The solicit cites the story as taking place in the future, but this didn't feel too distant to me. In fact, without some floating eyeball cameras, I may have just thought the main character dressed a little odd in modern times. I mean, it doesn't have to be the distant future. I mean, I it, guess it, not, but nothing else was real futuristic. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, look at it this way. Uh, consider what we thought was going to be our lives in 2022 when we were uh, well, sure, I suppose. Uh, 18. <laughs> My point is they kind of lean into the fact that like this stuff happened a long time ago that killed all newspapers and the world changed. That took a little while, right? I mean, otherwise sure. I feel like we're living through that right now. <laughs> so the script leans into the noir aspect a little heavy at times. There's a hard-nosed detective with a mouth on her that comes off a little forced, but I did like her. I didn't pick up on the detectives as Ronan fighting for truth thing, but that could be coming, I suppose. There's a nice setup for the mystery of Satcha's dead ex-editor. 
but it was hard to buy her emotional connection when she spends most of the book cussing and pointing guns at people. Bylines and blood isn't bad, but the most interesting part of the story may have been in the solicit and just hasn't come through yet, at least with issue number one. I'm giving it a strong skim it, though. I mean, it, she puts on a hard facade, right? Uh, you know, like all, all all hard jokes aside. I suppose, um, yeah. Because, like, I, I'm, I'm re-looking at... I'm re-looking. I'm looking again at the book here, and the last couple of pages are all about that facade crumbling, and now she's, you know, taking a moment to herself to grieve. It's there, but I agree that it may not have carried over... It may have been a little too subtle. Yeah, I think had they hinted uh, at it a little more, yeah, maybe like, I would have been it, like, like she's instead, all exterior she's like, and no filth, subtext, right? filth, and all filth and flooring you and get that out of my and yeah, point right. your gun in your face uh, like easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll say that I did love the art. Um, I I thought that the, at first I thought that um, I got kind of an inverse uh private eye, yeah, kind of vibe where it's like you got all these people running around in masks. Yeah, that definitely came to and, mind. Um, but like she is somebody that's after the truth instead of everybody being obsessed with hiding the truth, you know? So it's kind of like a flip of the coin to that. But yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think uh, it was, the stereotypes, you know, were a little bit broad as far as like, I'm a detective, a detective who does detective stuff, mother yeah. goose scratcher, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, I get it. Right. Uh, There's I mean, a team in trouble, and I'm on a volleyball team, too. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, hey, look, you know, detectives can play volleyball if they want. I but suppose. It's, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a bit heavy handed. I'm not sure if they really sold me on the premise. And I'll grant you, you know, like it's future. Yeah, but it's like not like flying cars future. So, right. Like, um, I would argue like a, a story like this so far could have just been told in 2022 without issue. I mean, I guess if you need to if you need to have that added worldwide element, uh, you know, like about, the truth is dead and all that. Yeah. Like that's something that we don't. I mean, at least not overtly. I suppose. We don't overtly have going on. But we've and only been so, told about it in the solicit here. I don't think sure. it's really No, yeah, yeah. That's You're right. You're right. Uh, it's a skim for me as well. The art is really good. The Clarion, for those of you uh, keeping score, is the name of uh, of the paper or one of the former newspapers. Oh, uh, okay. Finds a, uh, she, she finds a copy of the Clarion uh, laying on the ground in an alley when she's interrogating a dude or she's uh, actually being mugged by a dude and she... You know, she points a gun at his dick. She points her, she points her, her dick substitute at his dick. <laughs> it does uh, say this was it like, though. The clearing is co-created by Ringo. Award. No, that's true. So, yeah. I, and I think it was, it, obviously it was supposed to be called the clearing and they changed it. Yeah. There's somewhere in all of this, we could have made the joke. Like it's okay. Lady Dick. It happens to a lot of guys, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's a skim. It, it, it's decent, but um, it didn't quite hook me. This is going to be the best, the segue. You're going to kill it. Here we go. You got this. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> I think that's it. I Honestly, I think that's the funniest thing we've ever done. You're terrible at this. <laughs> Inverno number four from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Schiti and Stefano Caselli. It's Call him for, shitty, oh, you, you coward. It's, it's, that's not his name. I know. I just love it. It's $5.99, but it's thick. You know, it's 50 yeah. some pages. I think it's 48 pages. Uh, the, the, it was 52 pages, uh, but that includes the cover. So. And then, yeah, and that also probably includes like the back. There was like. So literally like blank fact pages with a symbol on them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, you know, yeah, you know, there's a lot in here. Here's just listen. Two embers. Jonathan Hickman's time on X-Men ends. Mm. We're going to talk about that here. Yeah. With the dramatic conclusion of one of the first and best mysteries he brought to the line, Valerio Skeety returns on art to help bring down one of the foundations of the era Sorry, Stefano Caselli, you stepped in at the last minute to help and you didn't get mentioned. Inferno number four brings together the most compelling of the threads that Hickman put in motion in Hawks and Pox, the many lives of Moira, and the fate of destiny. The series reestablishes both Mystique and the White Queen as women you absolutely do not want to f*** with while sending the grand plan of mutant sovereignty into a downward spiral. I thought I knew where the story was going to go. I was so wrong. I was and then, too. 
like Destiny, I was at a complete loss. It may have only been a few pages, but for me, it seemed like an eternity reading this book in a good way. Yeah, there were two. Anything could happen. There were two pages specifically where I just went, is this what we're doing? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, And it was intense, too. Uh, with the utter dominance of Orcus and the Sentinels, the near complete unraveling of Xavier, Magneto, and Moira's plan, and the emergence of the most unlikely power player on Krakoa, no joke. Oh, okay. I guess it could have been Peepers. Yeah. It wasn't Peepers, yeah. okay? It could have been Bird the Brain. Dis- <laughs> yeah, Bird, Bird, Bird Brain. The decision for this to be the ending of Hickman's first run on the books is maddening. I honestly don't know how you keep the rest of the books in a holding pattern after this. Valerio Schiti and Stefano Caselli are both great artists, and their styles mesh very well here. The battle scenes between Charles, Eric, uh, Omega, the, uh, the Omega Sentinel, and Nimrod are brutally gorgeous. Like, really yeah. just wonderful to look at. Inferno has been an absolute roller coaster ride. The first two issues, I was like, what are we doing here? What's going to, what's happening? That's what, kind of where I was at. Right. And, but yeah, because then the third issue came out before, before we did our Beppos, the right. third issue had come out. And I was like, well, now I don't know what the hell. Yeah. I don't know what the hell is happening. <laughs> there was a spread, another spread of the Mora timeline that was different in a, and like, uh, I, my brain literally could not piece together the various pages into the complete puzzle. I just I had to like block it out. I blocked it out. And number four, I was just like, well, Jesus, okay, if this is what we're doing, I am dying to see what happens next. Uh, I just hope the line doesn't stay stuck in the same place for too long. I just want to give special shout out to the moment uh, between Emma, Destiny, and Mystique. It made the book for me. Yeah what their plan was going to be was put into motion. I was like, Oh shit. Like I, I said out loud, Oh shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, absolute buy it. I loved it. Yeah. This ended really, really well. And it reminded us why we're so excited about what Jonathan Hickman does with the X-Men. It also reminded me what Jonathan Hickman has not been allowed to be doing with the X-Men for a yeah, while. Right. Yes. And yeah, I'm with you. Like I'm really excited for this Illuminati thing. That's coming out of it. The uh, about the quiet uh, camp, not Illuminati, pardon me, uh, Immortal uh, X Men, Immortal X Men, right? Yeah. This Immortal X Men that's coming out of it by Kieran Gillen. I think that is going to play into this big time. Yeah, and it's basically it's 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 quiet. It's the Quiet Council, the series, right? Right. And it's I'm very quickly learning what I want to pay attention to in the X universe anymore. Yeah, and it seems like Jerry Duggan's X Men, uh, this Kieran Gillen Immortal X Men. Wolverine, just because they're fun Wolverine stories. I think Wolverine's are, are really the only ones I need to pay attention to. I mean, and honestly. some of the books, like a lot of the books are, are fine and yeah. good, but I don't miss, like I haven't been current on any of them since Ten of Swords and I don't miss them. Like I caught up on New Mutants and Marauders and what they're fun. They're perfectly I think fun. Sword, Sword is probably on the list. because Oh, it's Sword, I'm, Sword I'm up to date with, but Sword is even doing its own thing. You know, so they're fine. But I agree. I think those are the most interesting things that are going on. This was great. This was just really well executed. It blew me away. It blew me away. I get why Marvel's doing what they're doing and spreading it out. And it's not terrible. It's not like we're getting a bunch of garbage. But that's just it, right? But it's not this good. No plan has ever been served well by like, let's just spread it out and keep it going for as long as we like they didn't learn their lesson from the clone saga right the clone saga was going to be six months well now hold on there was a lot of garbage in the clone saga i will say yes because it was going to be six months long and it sold so well that they expanded it to four years yes what i'm saying is the other stuff is not necessarily garbage but it's not this good right that's that's the only thing that's wrong with this so it, it, it's just it's a shame it's a shame that we know why hickman has decided to step back i i kind of wish we didn't know why you want the kayfabe you you, you want to i want the kayfabe yeah, right like do. i don't want to i don't want to know that sorry basically buddy. the marvel bullpen is holding the x-men line hostage that's that's how the world of works the now. story progress we i get don't want to know that everything about everything and what they had for lunch today so Ugh. too bad Let's move from Krakoa Island to an island funded by Monkey Meat. It's Monkey Meat number one from Image. It's $3.99. It was written and drawn by Junie Ba. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere! 
Jalia creator Juni Ba introduces a new fantasy universe in this anthology series. The Monkey Meat Company made its fortune selling cans of processed meat all around the world. Using that money to fuel their wacky experiments, they turned their native island into a magical, hyper-capitalist hellscape where even demons have to pay rent. Follow the lives of the creatures of Monkey Meat Island in this fun, action-packed romp. Each issue is its own story. Juni Ba is a bit of an indie darling coming off the success of the English release of Jalia, and for good reason. His art and storytelling are a thing to behold. We talked about artists like Jim Mafood who have a style all their own, and Junji Ba falls squarely into that same category. You can see classic cartoon, anime, and even video game influences in his art. There are panels that even reminded me of Mike Mignola and Duncan Fergredo's work on Hellboy. His <laughs> style is almost too crazy at first glance, but it settles in for the reader as the book goes along. The story is as insane as the art, and some of it may have suffered a bit in translation. He is French, which can especially be tough when writing absurdist dark comedy. There is real brilliance here, but it was a little hard for me to follow on the first read. This could just be me getting used to his storytelling, as upon the second read, I was able to follow the story much better. Ba will certainly be another polarizing artist due to his intense style and odd storytelling. But if you're looking for a new, very original talent making off-kilter comics, look no further than Monkey Meat. I'm giving this a very strong skimmit. Yeah, I mean, it's not just you. This definitely, this definitely had the feeling of a comic book that had not been written in English to yeah. begin with, which uh, is fine. Uh, uh, it happens all the time. Uh, comics are translated to English for American audiences constantly. I think some things were lost in translation. Yeah. Um, and not in a way that like broke it for me, but in a way that I noticed, which is, I guess, its own way of, is a distraction in its own way. The art is great. I love the art. Uh, I will say that there were moments that I, I, I literally could not tell what was happening. I, I like I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know what that shape was. What what is that collection of shapes and colors supposed to represent? Uh, and and then, you know, like four panels later, it would be like, oh, it's a giant severed monkey head. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like I had the same thing. It, and upon yeah, second it, read, I saw yeah. it went. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I also couldn't like I I couldn't really make sense of what was happening with the main character's head. He's got this kind of like tusked yeah, face that's hidden under a hood, but instead of being in shadow, it's under it's in light, like it's crackling with energy. I I don't know. Yeah. Like um, he is a demon weird. as well, I think. Yes. Uh well and, and there is a uh, they're not demons. They're, they they were woodland creatures. He was a he's a woodland creature that was mutated by this right. Okay, formula. Yeah. He's like a yokai in the, in or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so uh, you know, there's like kind of a heartbreaking twist uh, at the end about like the nature of the formula and his existence. And it's like, oh man, and all of that carries through, and that's great. Um, and and, and that's what like kind of made it for me, but. Um, this is a strong scheme for me as well, just because like, it's just so, it's so strange. It's so strange and it's a bit hard to understand. And it's the sort of thing that you really need to focus on. Yeah. Uh, multiple times. And, um, you know, not everybody's, not everybody's down for that. Speaking of collections of shapes and colors and demons, it's dark old Omega number one. You might think that that's a bad transition, but it actually does fit. <laughs> uh, this is from Marvel Comics. It's written by Steve Orlando with art by Sian uh, Chan Kian. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I'm not, Poor May. I'm not sure either. Uh, it's $4.99. Here's your solicit. The fate of all existence lies in the hands of five twisted minds. Five of the world's greatest heroes, Spider-Man, Black Bolt, Blade, Wasp, and Iron Man, took a chance and read from the cursed Darkhold. They were meant to gain the power to fight back the dread elder god, Kathan. But instead, they've lost their damn minds and all they once held dear. Was it worth the cost? And who is their bold new ally? 
a product of Cathan's dark dimension hmm. or something else entirely? It was something else entirely. <laughs> it was something as spoilers. It was something else entirely. Uh, Steve Orlando and uh, Cian Torme. Sorry, guy. Kian. Kian. All right. See, deliver a heart pounding conclusion to the epic Darkhold event and introduce a hero who will take the Marvel Universe by storm. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Second time's the charm. This weird little non-event was announced like it was going to be a huge deal, and then it was delayed until it became no big deal at all. But that doesn't mean it isn't a decent read. This weird little non-event was announced like it was going to be a huge deal, then delayed until it became no big deal at all. But that doesn't mean it isn't a decent read. The I was hoping you say that doesn't mean it's not a decent deal. <laughs> it's not a decent deal. The main series is just the two bookends with the remainder padded by fill-ins featuring the corrupted heroes. Uh, since that was the weakest aspect of the entire story, I skipped them completely, and you can too. Steve Orlando's conclusion wraps things up nicely, sets up the Scarlet Witch for future stories, and brings back a um, cult favorite character from decades past. Is it the same he, character though? Like that—that that was my yes. question. Like, is because I, I don't know much. There's only one of them. Okay, so that's. Uh, it. Kian Torme's art is pretty nice, even though he really doesn't have much to do other than draw differently colored blobs, punching and blasting for most of the issue. Uh, I did appreciate how you could definitely tell the evil characters from the good by how sexy their outfits were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you read from the Darkhold and immediately upgrade to a red and black bondage outfit. Yeah, everybody would look very penance, right? Like speedball penance. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, Cathan is wearing some kind of shirt that is somehow nothing but sleeves. I don't know how that works. Magic is weird. Let me ask you. Cathan uh, is normally just like a squid thing, right? No, that's not Cathan. Oh, that's not Cathan. Okay, no. what am I thinking of? I don't know. Shumagorath? Yes, I'm thinking of Shumagorath. I apologize. Thank you. Yeah, no, Cathan is a different thing. While the story had its moments and was well-drawn, for most readers, I think their enjoyment of Darkhold Omega will depend on their level of interest in the Scarlet Witch and not much else. For me, that level is about at a, meh, I could take her or leave her. Uh, so I'm giving this a skim it. Um, I will say that the character was well-served by the story, uh, much better served by this story than she was the trial of Magneto. Yes. Um, yes. Which was terrible. Which like, so we just had two bigs and again, nobody's fault. We had a pandemic. No, this, this, yeah, this book was delayed and delayed and right. delayed. So Screw, like, this was supposed to be over and done before the trial of Magneto. Yeah. Like this was supposed to be like end of like WandaVision. This was supposed to come out from what I understand. Yeah. A long time ago. So right. like nobody's fault. I get it. We just had two stories that have, major status quo ramifications for the Scarlet Witch. And look, I was exhausted for any of that. And my level of the Scarlet Witch is please stop it. That's where I'm at. So <laughs> I, I just didn't care. I, I didn't care. And Steve, I like Steve Orlando a lot. And I think Steve Orlando is a great guy to write a book like this. And maybe had they let him control the whole thing, it would have been a little more interesting. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not giving it a leave it. I'm giving it a skim it because the art was pretty good, like you said. And well, yeah, I mean, interest does not denote quality. No, know, it's and at first it looked like they were just going to leave. Like they did exactly what I thought they should have done from the beginning, where they're like, "Oh shit, we can't handle this book. We got to give it back to Doctor Doom." Like, of course you should have just let Doctor Doom have it. He he had a plan. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I'm just tired of the Scarlet Witch. I really am, and I don't need. I, mean, more. I get it. I don't need more of this crap for the Scarlet Witch, so it was really hard to care about, but there's nothing inherently wrong with this bookend. I will give it a skim it as well. Uh, Matt, can we please talk about the star-studded cast of the fourth man now? Uh, we'll get into that, buddy. <laughs> We're talking about the fourth man, number one from AWA slash Upshot, by the way. This is in their collected Upshot universe for some sure. reason. Why not? Why, Why the not? Fuck not? <laughs> it's $3.99. It was written by Jeff McComsey with art by Mike Diodato. Here's your solicit. Three dead bodies lay in a rural morgue, all murdered in the span of three weeks. It's up to two detectives from opposite sides of the tracks to determine who put them there. If the murders are linked and what, if anything, they have to do with a pair of dueling car dealerships. A dark comedy mystery thriller by Jeff McComsey, who worked on Grendel and Kentucky. 
he's from Grendel, Kentucky. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he didn't work on Grendel. He's oh, from I thought it was that Grendel, Kentucky series where Grendel was in the backwoods, like causing problems <laughs> for moonshiners. And Mike Diodato Jr. from The Amazing Spider-Man and The Resistance. That is inspired by an outlandish true crime story. The fourth man story will keep you guessing till the last page. Morgan Freeman, James Caan, Paul Giamatti, Harvey Keitel, Ed Harris, and Regina King all star in this completely photo-referenced 1970s crime drama. The story is solid, and this is definitely a movie I'd watch with this cast, but it drives me insane when Diodato is this obvious with his facial references. Okay, uh, I'm just going to really quick say this defense of it. I think it's one thing when it's like one character in a book of other characters that look like normal comic book Even people. Even then it sticks out but a little this, bit. But this is obviously on purpose. Yes. Like this was done on purpose. And for that reason, I was like, okay, I get it. I kind of like it. Sure. McComsey's script is a solid homage to movies like Serpico and Mean Streets. But again, this feels like a movie or TV script that was adapted to comics, something I've accused a lot of these AWA comics of. This is by no means a bad idea. Just because a script was written for the screen doesn't mean it can't be adapted to comics. And this team does a solid job here. It's just too much Hollywood star facial referencing. And it takes me out of what is otherwise a very solid script. And why is this part of their shared upshot universe. What the hell, you guys? There are aliens. There are robots. There are demons in this world. And this is a perfectly down-to-earth true crime story, mind you. It's adapted from a true crime story. I'm giving this a skimmit because the script is very good. And look, I like Mike Diodato at times. I don't particularly care for this Mike Diodato. It's a little two photo referenced it. Like some of it looks like he found a Google image of a house, you know, a ranch style house in the seventies with a, you know, a ranchero car parked out front and just went, all right, I'll put some sketch marks over it. And there we go. Bang. Skim it. The actor that I think you were referring to at the beginning of the book is not Morgan Freeman. It's Paul Winslow. No, I am talking about the guy that he turns around and says, who won that race? And he's yeah, like, okay, yeah, that's, but that's it. That's all you that's see. Of it, that guy. But it's 100% Morgan Freeman. No, for sure. You, know, you right, don't okay, cast yeah. Morgan Freeman in that role. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, but there is uh, like Paul, very famous 70s and 80s character actor, Paul Winslow. Sure. He was in Star Trek. Uh, he was, uh, you know, in Wrath of Khan. He was one of, he was the guy other than uh, Chekhov to get his brain eaten yep. by the. I miss. Uh, I, and I even looked at him and was like, he the might be somebody, but I'm just going to name everybody else. So Yeah, yeah. Um, there was also uh, Bill Paxton? Bill Pullman. Which one is the one that died? Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton is dead, man. From Aliens. Yeah, he is a dead man. He is. Uh, he is. There's a, uh, there's a guy who's got his. His face on the front page of a newspaper. It's Bill Paxton. It's, yeah, looking at it now, it totally is. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's like yeah, Ed Harris, Harvey Keitel. It's crazy. I, I like I I can't handle I, it. I can't Paul Giamatti. It. Like it's it's cuckoo for Coca Puffs. Um, I actually loved that. Um, I like I I think like this was clearly done intentionally as like it's either a love letter to a, a Hollywood you know, crime noirs, comedy, or it is, uh, you know, they're calling their shot and they're saying like, here, you know, well, let's take because into account half of these actors are dead. And I'm just going to say, let's take into account the ages that some of them are drawn as like, this is a very young Ed Harris by any account, you know, like it's nuts. They, you just like plucked yeah, actors right. from no, the it's, time they are, zone. It is like, <laughs> it, it, if, it's like, if you could, if you could, uh, if time and space, and the veil of life between life and death be damned. Right. Who would you cast in your comic book movie? And they did it. And I like, I got a kick out of it. Like this is James Conn circa like Godfather. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Freedom. But, but this like is Watchmen, absolutely Freedom. But Watchmen <laughs> age Regina King. Yeah, I don't get uh, it. it uh, but yeah, like I, I thought the art was great and I am, I am the, uh, like, I'm the same as you where it's like when Diodato gets too referency, I go, Ugh. but this was clearly done on purpose and he did it very well in a way that's not like 
he drew these faces. He did not trace these faces like Greg Land or like Salvador. Uh, no, Lorota. I agree. He's not tracing. He, he, these are drawings of people. Not saying that. And uh, like, I'm giving this a buy it because I got a real kick out of it. Like, it really did feel like a movie to me. Oh, it's too much for me. And uh, if it had just been like one or two characters and everybody else had just like like generic comic book people, I would have been right there with you. But because it was intentionally done, I, I went with it. From one good detective story to another, I guess, it's Detective Comics 1047 from DC. It's written by Mariko Tamaki with our, uh, and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Ivan Rice and Fernando Blanco. It's $4.99. Here's our solicit. The Tower begins. The 12-part weekly Detective Comics event starts here. Arkham Asylum has fallen, and in its place, Arkham Tower has risen in the heart of the city. A pitch made by the mysterious Dr. Ware. Or Weir? It's Ware. Weir. W-E-A-R Ware. Right. There's a backup story called House of Gotham. Uh, it just says backup, colon. House of Gotham begins. <laughs> For a long time, two houses have overlooked Gotham City, beckoning its broken Wayne Manor and Arkham Asylum. And that is the end of that particular solicit. So good luck. Uh, I am certainly not one to judge a book by its cover, but just to get it out of the way, uh, the ultra photorealistic painted cover by Irvin Rodriguez is extremely off-putting to I me. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It's, it's just <laughs> Alex Ross does it. He does it very, very well. He does it in such a way that you can't notice it. Right. This looked like people in cosplay. Yeah. Posing for the cover. And I, it bothered me. It was Uncanny lot. Valley stuff. Like, yeah, Uncanny like, ah, Valley ah. stuff. 100%. <laughs> I, I recognize that it's well done. It's yes. well painted. I can't paint that well. But there's something about that particular style of doing it that just doesn't sit right with me. But hey, we're here to talk about what's happening inside. And that is the nightmare resulting from Gotham's decision to rebuild Arkham as a high-tech tower in the heart of the city instead of a gothic mansion on the outskirts of town. What could possibly, who could possibly Yo, have foreseen where this else would tragedy? You put it? Come on. <laughs> who could, who right who next would to have, the kindergarten and you know the public zoo? <laughs> look, we built look, we put a gun store in the lobby of Arkham Tower like it is a <laughs> gift shop. What could go wrong? Uh, as silly as I found the premise, I did love how Mariko Tamaki delivered it. Uh, we all know that this is going to go badly. So she doesn't waste any time. We jump, we jump right from the bright, shiny beginning to the brutal, bloody ending. And we'll get to see how it all went wrong along the way. Uh, I love Tamaki's take on the Bat family who are doing their best to protect the city in Batman's absence. Uh, this is a the first chapter. Or I guess, is it the first chapter? I suppose it would be the first. I think so. Uh, the first uh, tie-in, not really a tie-in. It's more of a theme, not a storyline. Shadows of the Bat. Batman has left town. I also really enjoyed the tension brought by not knowing where all the players were or what happened to them in between point A and point B. I thought that was very effective storytelling. And for the first time in a long time, uh, I thought that the characters could have been in real jeopardy. Like I thought, oh man, like somebody might die. Yeah. One of these characters might be dead. Which might be super irresponsible for Batman to be like, Gotham's in good hands. Gotta I'm out of go, here. guys. All right. You guys got this, right? Uh, here's 300 bucks for pizza. Uh, don't spend it all on right. beer. And um, Alfred's dead, so don't throw any parties. All right. See you later. The art by Ivan Rice doesn't really need any hype for me. It's Ivan Rice. He's probably the strongest member of DC's artistic roster at the, at the moment, and it shows... Uh, the backup story has an equally ridiculous premise, just in a much smaller at a much smaller scale, involving Arkham Asylum, uh, set years past. Uh, but to writer Matthew Rosenberg's credit, he does a good job trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. Like all of the other characters involved, also agreed that it is totally ridiculous. Yeah, everybody's like, just like, do, "You want me to do what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I like I, I, and I was like, "Okay, I get it. I like it." I almost feel like he Fernando, didn't want to write this. He's like, "All right, I'm doing it." But everybody uh, in my story is going to say how wacky this is. <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know what? Good on him. Fernando Blanco's looser art style is a nice contrast to the lesser precision of Rice's. It's it's a really good fit. Yeah. Detective Comics 1047 seemed like a good place to jump back in after several years away from the title. And I was right. You know, it, it didn't really matter. I already knew Arkham, Arkham Asylum had been destroyed or whatever because I read Infinite Frontier. And uh, while I'm exhausted by the constant attempts to wring stories out of the Arkham concept, just give it a break. Give it a give me a three year hiatus. 
from Arkham Asylum stories, please. Yeah, like if the Joker could walk into the Arkham Asylum and it could just be swallowed by a black hole for three years. Sure. <laughs> it gets, like, uh, all that said, I am looking forward to seeing how this new spin on it develops. It's kind of got like that, what's the name of that uh, Raging Inferno, that disaster movie where where the, the skyscrapers towering are. Towering Inferno. You know, towering Inferno, thank you. Uh, it, it's got kind of like a, that 70s disaster movie spin on it, which I think is kind of fun. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it. The art was good. The writing is good. I'm tired of Arkham Asylum. I'm tired of Arkham Asylum as well. I, I think we all are. But it's also something we know is never going to go away. And this was clever. This is clever. And I liked how both writers sort of addressed the fact that this is a terrible idea and it's super ridiculous. But this is what we're doing. So here we right. go. Yeah. So it, like, it's not an enviable task, but I feel like they're both doing a great job of it so far. And I'm interested so yeah. I'm on board and I feel better about Batman. Like now that we're out of death metal, future state, fear state, yes. after all that's right. gone, this feels like a Batman story. You know what I mean? Right. Without this, Batman. Yeah. It felt like a bat family. It, it reminded me of when James Tinney and the four came on with yes. DC rebirth. Yes. Or it's like, yeah, look, bat, yeah, it's a bat adjacent. It's Batman adjacent, but it's more about how Batwoman is working with Nightwing, right. who's working with Cassandra Kane, who's working with the spoiler. And if we get to see some of those other characters shine, I'm into it. It's a race it against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. From the towering skyline of Gotham, we move to the blood-soaked streaks of the Marvel Universe for Elektra, Black, White, and Blood. Number one from Marvel, it's $4.99. It's written by Charles Soule and Leonardo Romero and Declan Shavley with art by Mark Begley, Leonardo Romero, and Simone D'Armini. Here's your solicit. It might be the worst Marvel solicit I've ever read. So here it comes. Fact. Noun. Fact. Definition of fact one, A, something that has actual existence, B, an actual occurrence, C, Electra Nachos is the best assassin in the Marvel Universe. F*** off. <laughs> you guys, this uh, is Do you know what doesn't translate well to comics? Uh, things written in a dictionary form. Yeah, God, that's just dumb. Electra is the first Marvel female to get her entry to the Black, White, and Blood books, which are essentially anthologies featuring stories told by mixed creative teams that don't necessarily take place in any continuity, or sometimes do. The art is black and white with a splash of red, and it works very well for Marvel's most violent characters. The first story sees Elektra not just dealing with vampires, but actually becoming one, with amazing art by Mark Bagley. I have... I'm not going to say made fun of Mark Bagley, but I'm trying to avoid saying bagged on Mark Bagley without getting that pun, but I don't know how else to do it. I haven't loved his more recent output. You just really bag, you just like bagging on Bagley. All right. This looked really good. So huge props. I got to give them to him. Uh, I think it served very well from the lack of color. Yes. The monochrome does it uh, a great justice. Definitely. After that, we get a fairly straightforward story by Leonardo Romero about Electra, a whacking henchman of corrupt mayoral candidate Randolph Cherry in an homage to Frank Miller's legendary Daredevil story, Where Angels Fear to Tread, from his early 1980s run. Romero is wonderful here, paying tribute to Miller's art and storytelling with some wonderfully affected panels to make the story look very Marvel 1980s. And finally, we get a dreamy, mythic version of Electra in ancient Greece that may be the original Electra myth. I, I don't know enough about the mythology behind the original character to know, but I know this isn't the Daredevil X and modern Greek assassin I know and love. I reviewed D'Armini's blocky kinetic art style back in 2018 in his IDW book, The Spider King, which we both very much loved. His art is amazing and looks even better with this limited color palette. All three stories are fun, and Elektra's entry into the Black, White, and Blood series is a solid read for fans of the character. This is an anthology, and it's an anthology that is a love letter to Elektra. So there is some baggage you've got to have with you to come on board and enjoy it. If you like Elektra and you like these creators, you're going to like it. I'm giving it a buy it. This is not the first Elektra comic book I would put in anybody's hands. I'll say that. 
Well, sure. And, and I mean, I think the difference between giving something like this a buy it and giving something like this a skim it is that, well, you can you can say, yeah, I mean, it's obviously very focused on a particular character, different interpretations of a particular character. And if you don't care about that particular character, why would you care about this? Sure, sure. All of those stories are very well executed. Yeah. I, I thought that this was great. Um, I don't care about Electra. I thought this was great. I thought the Mark Bagley story, I agree with you uh, that it was absolutely beautiful. I kind of disagree with your comparison to Frank Miller in the middle story. I think it's much closer to like a a manga version of Kill Bill where because it, it's like swords through the neck and face. And when she pulls the swords out, it's fountains of blood. Oh, sure. <laughs> like comic, sure. Comical fountains. But of I blood. mean, like this is from um, that storyline. It's for sure. No, I, uh, yes. Uh, but I mean, uh, art wise though, I, I think it, I think it's inspirations come from elsewhere. Um, again, but agreed though, gorgeous. And the final story, the mythological take, which, which is crazy and wild and not at all uh, what we know of the character from the comics is beautiful. This all started with Batman black and white in the nineties. Right. 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 And so now we we've had the return of Batman black and white. We've got Superman red and blue the through line for all of these books is usually that um, it's more about the visuals than it is the story. So it's a pleasant surprise when the stories are also good. Yeah. And this, and in this case, the stories were all good and the art is uh, gorgeous across the board. I'm giving this a buy it. Like you might not like Electra. That's fine. But this is a really well done comic. That is eight brand new comics reviewed for 2022. But Matt, which one of these funny books is going to be the first to make it to the DHN permanent collection this year? I mean, it's weird to put a number four, I guess, in the permanent yeah, collection. But the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, but I got to give it to Inferno because they tied it up so well. And I yes. was kind of with what you were saying where like two issues in, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> and it, it just it shows how smart Hickman is and how good he is at this. And I kind of wish they would let him pace it and just do the story he wants to do. But we're going to get what we get, and I'll take it. I will take it. I'm having way more fun with the X-Men than I've had in a long time. I'll say that. Right. Yeah, yes, right. And that's kind of the... the, I'm trying to phrase things diplomatically here. I I, I think that the X-Line is putting out a lot of great work, and, and two and a half years in, I think it's treading water a bit, and not every book has ended up great. But... On balance, I think the X-Men universe is better than it has been in... Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like a decade? I don't, I don't think know. there's any question. Yeah. You and I talked about this, you know, um, off mic. I am so compelled by the main story. It drives me crazy that Hickman is not being allowed to continue the main story. Yeah, that's it. That's, I mean... And and, and I think that's, that's exactly a compliment. Right. No, that's definitely. A, definitely. That's a compliment to, to what they have done. And I get it. Like, people are having fun. The books are selling. You know, why not keep this train rolling? I get it. But I think that's dangerous. And I I, I, I just don't want them to overstay their welcome. Um, right now, though, it's Inferno for me. Absolutely. It's it's the first book in my 2022 long box. Uh, it just it just knocked my socks off. Oh, art alone, by the way. Jesus. Th- these two guys. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can always find our episodes review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on the Tuesday. Also, we want to know what you thought about these comics. Hit us up. Let us know what you thought of our reviews or anything you read this week on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on the Faces Book, live, 11 to noon Central Time. After our first review session of the year, we like to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our plan for the new year. Oh, God, this place is a disaster. Oh, the Moloids must not have cleaned up after our Micronaut-themed New Year's Eve batch. Hence, all the tiny broken action figures, blood and vomit everywhere. (laughs) My Hornetroid is ruined. 
Do you know what these things go for on eBay? Joe, Joe, it's a new year. We've got new patrons. Relax, baby. Now, why don't you just tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next Wednesday, January 12th, and I'll get the Moloid cleanup crew to work while our AI Joe Casta looks for a new horny troid. It's Hornet. Hornet. Hornetroid, that's, not Hornetroid. That's what I said. <laughs> My pick for next week is She-Hulk number one from Marvel Comics, written by Rainbow Rowell, friend of the show, with art by Roge Antonia. For some reason, I always thought it was Roge Antonio, but I, mean, I don't know if that was sexist of me or not. I don't know if Roge is a, it's a lady or a man. I don't know either. But the last name doesn't, it's his last name would be Antonio. I know, the last name means nothing. I, for some reason, you? I thought it, I had it in my head that it was Roge Antonio. <laughs> The price is $4.99. Look, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit punchy. My my head is swimming with congestion. I have COVID, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Look, hey, <laughs> things are bad all over, baby. The best character ever is back in our own series and about to glam up the whole Marvel Universe. Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. the sensational She-Hulk, is no longer savage and needs to put her life back together. She's got a career to rebuild, friends to connect with, and maybe represent in a court of law, and enemies to, well... Eh, she might not want to connect with them, but they are definitely going to connect with her. And the last page of this first issue is going to send Jen down a road she's never traveled, and that will shake up her life and possibly the whole Marvel Universe. Now, we've been talking for years about how we wanted the sensational She-Hulk back. It's happening. It's happening. Next week is is the week. Rainbow Rowell is the perfect writer for this project. You jerks Rose better Antonio support it. is a great artist. Please, dear God, buy this book because I'm so tired of She-Hulk getting a great series and then having it get canceled in yeah. 10 issues. Matt Bomb, what is your first new pick of the week for 2022? My pick is The Sword of Hyperborea, number one from Dark Horse. It's $3.99. It's written by Mike Mignola and Rob Williams with art by Lawrence Campbell. I just picked him for my cover of the week on Instagram, by the way, because he rules. Here's your solicit. From the ancient warrior Gal Dinar to Sir Edward Grey to the BPRD's Agent Howards, the iconic Hyperborean sword from the world of Hellboy has landed in many influential hands. And this has been no accident. Trace the sword's path through the adventures and encounters that finally brought it to Ragnarok at the end of the world and witness the sword's journey through history. Hellboy creator Mike Mignola gives us a new tale from the world of Hellboy, co-written by Rob Williams and featuring the art of Mignolaverse veteran Lawrence Campbell to deliver never-before-seen Hellboy lore. Now, you're going to be like, it's a story about a sword? If you oh, look right, the back, sword. you are going to recognize this sword. It literally just sword. occurred to me which sword it was. Yeah, it's the one with the two little tips. Yeah, the, prong, like, the prongies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I love it. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. And Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Campbell. God damn, that dude is talented. Draw some super creepy skeletons. And that is like, you got to check that box first before you get to write any Hellboy stuff. All right, buddy? Yeah, it's like, can you draw skeletons? Yes, you can. Okay. Yeah, if not, welcome aboard. Get the frig out of here. <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to Petrograd. Trade paperback from Oni Press. It's $25.99. It's written by Philip Gillette with art by Tyler Crook. Here's your solicit. The year is 1616. 1916. Yes, thank you. The year is 1916. That's what I said. The fate of millions of people hangs in the balance. And in Russia's capital city of Petrograd, corruption rules the day and conspiracy rules the night. But to British intelligence officer Cleary, the Petrograd post is all drunken nights, bleary-eyed mornings, and the occasional report back to London. Just like us. However, <laughs> yeah. When rumors circulate that the Tsarina's most trusted advisor is counseling the Tsar to make peace with Germany, Cleary, to his horror, is tasked with ending the influence of that advisor, the notorious Grigory Rasputin. Well, that should be easy. Speaking <laughs> of Hellboy, I guess. Just shoot him while he's drunk, right? <laughs> yeah, right, you know. And so the stage is set for one of the most infamous and strangest assassinations of all time. And a world that would never be the same. Acclaimed writer and director Philip Gillette from Europa Report and They Remain. And renowned artist Tyler Crook. You know him now from BPRD in Harrow County. Uh, it's their debut. It's back in print after years out of print. Featuring a new cover and an introduction from established historian David R. Stone. Uh, I picked this because of Tyler Crook. We, Tyler also, Crook but man. we talked about this way back in the day, too. Way back in the day, yeah. way, way back. Man, this day. book is amazing. Um, yes. And uh, uh, it's just, hey, any, like, 
no shade on anybody else involved. Tyler Crook has become like one of those artists where like if you have an, a, a chance to go see like, hey, here's how he burst onto the scene. Yeah. Check this out. You take it. You 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 absolutely check this out. Uh, every time I think about Gregory Rasputin, I think about how Ray describes Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2. He was shot, stabbed, poisoned, drawn, quartered, blah, 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 blah. Just before his head died, he, he cursed he cursed the world. Yeah, they lifted and, that. Yeah, that's a, they lifted that straight from the Rasputin oh, story. Well, obviously, yes. But yeah, like, yeah, it, that, that is Rasputin. That's, basically Rasputin um like he makes a great villain he is like one of the key points of the Hellboy mythology stories about Rasputin are just good fun and Tyler Crook one of those jerks that like came on the scene amazing not like one of those guys you look back and you go oh my god that was Stuart Immerman you know like nope (laughs) like always good that's not to say Stuart Immerman wasn't always good he was yeah no it's just his art was way different back in the 90s you can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on Twitter and Facebook too, where we want you to let us know what you're excited to read each and every week. Not enough of you jerks do it. That's enough comic talk for one day, but before we get out of here, we want to give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra. We do it twice a month. You can get access to the full segment for as little as $1 monthly. And if you donate more, you get access to even more stuff. So here is just a taste of our first Patreon exclusive for 2022. Welcome to another edition of Nerd TV, where we sit down to discuss some comic book related television. You're saying it wrong. During can, our, can you say it correctly? Yeah, look, man, neither one of us has the voice to Come do it. Come right on. Now. During our holiday break, I already proved I couldn't do it at the top of the show. <laughs> During our holiday break, Hawkeye saw its finale air on Disney Plus. And of course, Matt and I have thoughts, feelings, and general squealing. We need to take care of now that the show is done. Joe, rather than going back and forth talking about how much we loved all of it, I thought it might be better to address some of the characters and major questions we had before the final episode so we can discuss if we like where everything ended up after the dust settled. Hold on. Uh, Before we get into it, it should be obvious, but I'm going to say for the record that there will be spoilers. Full spoilers. For the entirety of the Hawkeye series, yeah. the six episode series that ended, uh, you know, a week or two ago. So if you haven't seen Hawkeye, throw your computer or your phone or your iPad in the toilet. So one of the thing, one of the main characters that we had huge questions about was Jack, which was yes. mom's boyfriend who we fiance, her fiance, pardon me, fiance, yeah. who we decided was the swordsman. Very obviously so. Not yeah. necessarily the well, co- I mean, not necessarily yeah. the Kotati who would marry the, sp- the uh, yeah, space no, Madonna no, the, and everything. The, the Kotati was the, <laughs> the Kotati was the the ghost of the swordsman in the body of an alien sure. shaped like the body of a dead of it. Anyway, so Jack Duquesne in the Hawkeye show is very clearly based on Jacques Duquesne, who in the Marvel comics is the swordsman. He is the man, one of the men that uh, trained. Hawkeye. Right. Um, when Clint and his brother Barney ran away to the circus. In the show, he's named Jack. He's just, he seems like this rich society asshole. Uh, he has this uh, uh, obvious knack for wielding swords. Um, but beyond that, we get nothing else. And I will say, like, him and Hawkeye came face to face, and Hawkeye does not know this guy on the show. No. Uh, so, I mean, they, there's no way they were going to do like this circus background stuff for Hawkeye. Sure. Like, like even if even if you want to keep it as headcanon, like they were never going to talk about Hawkeye's time no. at the circus. No, of course um, not. But and, and they were I mean, they're this? too close to the same age to, for him to be like a father figure to Hawkeye. Of course. But I mean, he could have trained him. He could have been a trainer or something. Who knows? I suppose. I guess. Like, how did you feel about that? Or like introduce it? Was it just a red herring type thing? Like, does that bother you? I don't think I don't think so. Jack, as he is portrayed on on the show, um, I really liked how they defied expectations because we were expecting him to be a villain the entire time, and he wasn't for sure. Well, as far as um, we know, he's not. But I'm. Um, but he well, he had nothing to do with anything like nothing to do with Kingpin, nothing right. to do with Eleanor's uh, shenanigans or or Echo or any of that. Like he was just he was a guy. He was shitty and shady. Yes. Um, but he wasn't the villain of the piece. It, does he have a mysterious past? Is he going to be a thunderbolt? We don't know. 
well, there was a version of the Thunderbolts uh, of the Swordsman in the Thunderbolts for, at uh, one point in time, so it could definitely happen. That's true. Um, right now, though, as far as we know, he's just a guy that's good with swords. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, does that bother you at all? Is it weird that? No, because I think that we'll see him again. I have a feeling we will too, and I'm not sure how they're going to tie it in or what they're going to do with it. I don't think it happens in echo because he doesn't seem to have any connection to no echo i mean i think either, i right? think hawkeye i i think i i hope that um hawkeye is unlike unlike say like falcon and winter soldier or wandavision i think hawkeye is something that lends itself to multiple seasons and so i would be surprised if we saw him anywhere else than hawkeye season two fair enough like i i I doubt he's got any i don't i don't think he's got enough cachet to like show up in the actual cinematic you know uh, like in a movie yeah oh look it's that guy with a sword from hawkeye for sure and i I will say i didn't feel like, like the same way that i felt about like the black knight and the eternals where it's just like oh I'm also here too, doing this thing. More me later. And I went, uh, did we need that? Right. There's a lot yeah. going on. I wasn't mad about it, but I, I will I, say I, I do. I wish you would have given us a little something maybe. Well, see, and that's, that's kind of what I liked. I, I, I liked that we, there were all the, like, it's the, it's the same thing that everyone has done for every Marvel show. Sure, it's the sure. speculation, right? That like, why does he keep messing up very common American idioms. Yeah. Why does he keep getting very simple phrases incorrect? He's a scroll. That could be. Maybe. That, and that maybe show's it's a, still coming. Maybe we it's don't a know. secret invasion thing. I don't know. Um, but uh, there's also no evidence other than that to 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 point to that. For sure. Um and, and I like the the whole like from the second he showed up, I was like, he's the villain. The swordsman is a bad guy. The swordsman yeah, he was a red yes, he was an event. No question. But as far as like being the villain of the piece, he was definitely a red herring. And I liked that they defied expectations in that way. I, and I thought that he was very brilliantly portrayed by that actor. Okay, so let's, I, I've got like an order here, but I want to move it around a little bit because we just talked about Jack. Let's talk about mom for a second. It turns out Mama Bishop is just a rich lady in the Kingpin's orbit, but also has the kind of connections that you need. Say you want to reach out to hire a Black Widow assassin. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> you know, I guess maybe I thought in my mind, that's hard. Seeing the Black Widow movie, they kind of made it sound like these assassins work for world leaders and they work for like really, really dark wheels and within wheels. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 649. And next week, the Cosmic Longbox makes its 2022 day. But this time, the theme for our classic comic reviews is When Non Mutants Mutate! What happens when the thing grows spikes or Spider-Man sprouts six arms? We'll explore these sudden character changes and more next week. But if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, there is more to come, folks. Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time, hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget... To get that uh, conversation started, we got a little question of the week. That's right. And this week, it's time for our annual Listener's Choice Awards. We want to hear your best of picks for whatever nerdy media you want to rap about. Comics, video games, movies, TV, books without pictures, whatever. Uh, It is a new year, and we need new question of the week suggestions, so please keep those coming. You can send them to us via Facebook or Twitter or the email or the hotline, all of which I will tell you about right now. You can call us at 402-819-4894. You can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live video chat every week. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline, and you could be internet famous. Uh, If you can't join us live, please keep your recorded messages to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with the people that are there live. And if you have segment ideas, questions of the week, uh, ask a nerd submissions, whatever, you can do that. Email, phone number. You got it. You do it. We need you. Can't do it without you. If you're new to the show and you'd like to kick us in our lady dicks rather than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive. It's over at twoheadednerd.com. 
THN is a listener-supported podcast. Ain't no ads here, kids. And it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our very first patron, Nick Garcia, a.k.a. Black Scorpion the 3. The guy has a little Black Scorpion the 4, and he still throws money at this show. And a Black Scorpion the 5. That is goddamn irresponsible. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com backslash 2 nerd, where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content like Nerd TV this week. Or just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're an anarchist. You're a lunatic, and you just want to upset the balance of reality by doing good things for people who work hard on nerdy pointless shit that they could probably, you know, invest that energy elsewhere and improve their lives. You know, that's all I'm saying. We could be spending our time mining Bitcoin. Who knows? And creating NFTs, you know? Uh, all like positive, positive, <laughs> yeah, positive, positive, positive stuff. shit. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the entire staff of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha. Our first and greatest and, uh, you know, permanent sponsor. Recently, their mustache-twiddling villain of a landlord sold their building out from under them and the neighboring restaurant, leaving them temporarily homeless to start the new year. But we have it on good authority. A new space has been found. Uh, they actually are going to be setting up in a temporary space on the same street around 31st and Leavenworth for you Omaha peeps while they build out their newer bigger and better legend comics and coffee 3.0 word to you guys for keeping your heads up in the face of adversity and for all of your support of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast until next time true relievers remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just sell them right out from under you and that is a thing that happens and you're not allowed to bitch about it when they do because guess what you weren't paying for it you rat bastards this is the two-headed nerd <laughs> signing off <laughs>